Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. Today, we are going to share some listener feedback. And then for our main topic, we're going to talk about mommy wine culture. So and just put, you know, put your defensiveness down. We're all just <laughs> going to come to this conversation together. Open. Sarah and I are really killing it this week. We did an, an episode on abortion, and now we're doing mommy <laughs> wine culture. We're just <sighs> digging in. And then we'll end, as we always do, with something inspirational for you. We really want to take a second and ask for you to submit iTunes reviews of The Nuanced Life on the Apple Podcast Player. It helps other people find The Nuanced Life. We're still trying to build an audience around this show so that we can have the kind of community that we have on Pantsuit Politics. What we do is so enhanced by everyone's participation. So if you have a second to pop over and leave a quick review, we would so appreciate it. So we got a really great email from Chelsea. She says, I discovered your podcast while going through a really stressful time over the last few weeks. It has been an amazing outlet for me, and it helped me have perspective and calm. Your conversations are so valuable to me already. I admire your friendship and openness. You're both amazing examples, and I often want to go and have conversations around similar prompts with my friends. I've been recommending so heavily that I think I may start a nuanced life call with a friend who lives across the country after we listen to your show. Uh, I love that idea so much. Thank you, Chelsea. I thought that was a a great message to share because really the best feedback we get is hearing that we are starting a conversation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll do a show and then we'll get email like, I can't believe you didn't talk about this and this and this. And you are right. Those are great points. And we want you to go out into the world and have those discussions. Sarah and I could probably just sit 24 hours a day and do this. Not kidding. But since that is not going to work for your lives or ours. Um, I'm so glad that so many of you are continuing these discussions, even in kind of a formal way with with people in your lives. We also heard from Megan about our active listening discussion, and here's what she shared about her husband. My husband, Ben, and I decided to be more direct when communicating what we need with each other, especially over text, as text conversation can be confusing without the visual cues of conversation. When we want to share with each other and a desire for the other person to only listen and not provide feedback or advice, we lead off with a cue. If I'm upset with something at work, I will text him, rant, colon, dot, dot, dot. We have found that instead of constantly expecting each other to know what the other needs 100% of the time, these cues both in person and over text can help ground the conversation so we both know where the other is before talking. 
think that is a really good idea to have those little cues. I like specific advice like that. Here's a thing you can just go do. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was great from Megan. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I really can't say enough about how important it is to be heard. We, I've been taking, or just started yesterday, taking my boys to a counselor or psychiatrist, as Amos likes to say. Um, just because we've had a lot of transitions, our dog of a long time died, we moved, Griffin is getting close to pre-adolescence, and I just thought, a little, little brain health checkup, never hurt anybody, and he loved it. He was like, that was way funner than I thought it was. And my, the doctor was so funny, she was like, you know, usually the parents talk the first group, the first meeting, but Griffin just went for it. And I think he was like, you know, it's just, it was great to see him realize how wonderful it is to just be heard, to just talk and have someone listen. And so often at school, this really bothers me. And I feel this as a parent, too, and I understand why. But the teachers sort of circle the wagon. They're very defensive of each other and their own decisions. And so he doesn't feel hurt a lot of the times. He feels silenced. And that's a really, really crappy feeling. I wish there was a way they would find to deal with that better in an elementary school setting. And so it was just it brought me a lot of joy as a parent to see him like experience the joy of really, really being heard. So how does that work, Sarah? Are you there for that conversation? Just the first one. She said just the intake one, and then I won't. And and she keeps the confidentiality. She's like, unless he's being harmed or going to harm himself, I'm under no obligation to share what he says with you. And I'm fine. I, I want him to trust that he can say and talk in those situations. And, you know, we're not going to be going, like, every week for years. It's just a little a little check-in time to, to talk through some stuff. And it was so interesting. I mean, he was very open with me in the room, and it was interesting to see – and hear how much a role his friends and peers are already playing in his life and sort of his little stresses was so illuminating. I just love him so much. That's okay, really remind good. everybody how old Griffin is. Griffin is eight years old, but he is um, very emotionally mature and not to be that mom, but he's so gifted. That's the word the doctor used. Just going to say that. She was like, you know, he's really hard on himself and he struggles when he's quote unquote not good at something. And she was like, that's just the flip side of a gifted child. Like they're, because so many things come naturally to them when something doesn't, it's very hard on their self-esteem. So we talked a lot about that and he's just, he just, you know, it's so fascinating to see kind of another side of your child in a situation like that. So he enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Listening to him and him being heard was really great. Did Amos go too? He is going in April. He's going in about. He's going to a different doctor who had a further out appointment time. So he's going um, in a few weeks. He's very excited about going to the psychiatrist. He really likes and, that word. He's been and using he it is a lot. seven. He's, he's going to be seven in June. Okay. Griffin will okay. be nine in May. So they're almost nine and seven, but still eight and six for now. I don't do that skipping ahead. Babies grow up fast enough. I'm not trying to to round up in any way, shape, or manner. That's a great idea. I've never thought about doing that with Jane. I definitely already see in Jane, who is seven, the frustration with herself, being really hard on herself, Mm -hmm. getting into that headspace of I can't do anything. She was decorating. We love to decorate our mantle. So whatever time of year it is, we're going to be celebrating something around our mantle. And we didn't have anything for St. Patrick's Day that we wanted to put up. So I printed out just a whole bunch of like clip art from the internet that Jane could use to sort of get inspired to do a St. Patrick's Day mantle. So she was trying to freehand a four-leaf clover. That's hard. It is super hard, and she really struggled, and there were so many tears about that stupid clover, and I kept saying to her, Jane, you've never drawn one before. It's fine to practice, and look, we can make a pattern with this one, or we could trace with that one until we kind of feel what it feels like to draw it, and she 
broke down and and said things like, I can't do anything right. I'll never get this. And I thought, where is this coming from? I can't stand it. And then I know where it's coming from. It is my self-talk too. It's so hard though. And I like, we talk about all the time, practice. We talk about the grooves in your brain. You have to wear those grooves down to get better and better at something. We talk about all the time and still it's the I'm terrible at this. Griffin is also prone to hyperbole about his day. Like, his brother got some dividend dots and he didn't. His day was garbage as a result. I was like, you know what? Let's pump the brakes on that a little bit. His day was sure. garbage. <laughs> his day is garbage. That's what that's where his exact words. My day was garbage. I'm like, because you didn't get dividend dots. Pump the brakes. Not that I'm prone to hyperbole ever, because I'm not, obviously. But dang it, it's just so hard. You just want to be like, hey, be cool. Like, you're not going to be great at everything. But it's so funny when you listen to, like... It really bothers me when I have a yoga instructor who, like, does that to themselves. Like, I'm just really not good at arm balances. Like, but adults do that stuff all the time. We do. Uh, You and I were having a conversation about scheduling this week because I'm down at my mom's house again. And I said to you, I'm creating a problem. And you said, that is ridiculous. That is not how you should frame this conversation. And you were so right. And what was hilarious, when we got off the phone, I realized that right before I called you, I talked to my mom about scheduling. And my mom said the words to me, well, I'm creating a problem here. And I said, that is ridiculous. You are not. (laughs) But, you know, these things just live in our brains. And it really takes a lot of consciousness and practice to overcome that stuff. Well, even we beautiful, beautiful Elise, who's been helping us on the podcast, this stupid programs are giving us all these fits. And she's like, I hate being such a bother. I'm like, it's not you. It's the program. Like, I'm I don't do I don't think I do a lot of that. I don't feel like I blame myself for things. Cause I'm all about blaming something that's like, if it's not my fault, it's not my fault. I'll definitely be like, no, no, this is the program's fault. Now, sometimes it's my fault, for example, when I'm late because I never build in time for problems outside my control. Totally self-aware of that, comfortable with that. But I don't, when, you know, my mom always talks about, she'll say, like, I would never have asked for help for that when I was your age. And I'm like, well, I am. So you can either help me or not, but don't make me feel bad for asking for help because I give help wholeheartedly and I ask for help wholeheartedly. I don't have any problem asking for help. And so when something is going wrong, I I don't, I we're going to talk about mommy guilt in the mom wine culture segment. I'm not, I'm hard on myself, but like in my interactions with other people, I have a really good sort of compartmentalizing. It sounds, but see, I I feel guilt about saying like, I don't feel bad if I'm causing a problem that's not my fault. That makes me sound like a jerk, but I don't know. I don't know a better way to put it. I think it makes you sound healthy and it's something that we all need more of. And that is a good segue to how wonderful everyone has been in receiving our request to put no reply needed in the subject line of your emails. And it's really been a study in how setting a boundary is good for everybody. So we've had listeners actually say, I feel better about emailing you now Mm -hmm. that I have this way to tell you that I don't need a response. Because before I worried that you would feel compelled to respond, I didn't want to waste your time or whatever. And it's just it's just been great to see that instead of people being offended by it, it's been more of an invitation. Speaking of boundaries, we want to share this amazing insight that Liz gave us. She lost a family member who was very popular and very giving, generous figure in the community. And so they received a large quantity of sympathy cards and notices. And she said, One person wrote at the bottom of the card, no response needed, and it felt like such a gift because they had received such a sort of overwhelming response of people's grief and sharing stories about this family member that 
just that that gift of don't worry about responding. This isn't about me. I just wanted you to know this and that's it was just like such a weight off their shoulder. And I feel so passionately that we need to make this a thing. Like we just need to spread this throughout the world. If you are sending a thank you note, particularly if you are sending a sympathy note or a sympathy card at the bottom, no acknowledgement needed, no response needed. I really think that this could change the world. I feel very passionately about this. I'm so glad Liz shared it. I agree. I think anytime we give each other permission to just take some pressure off, it's a wonderful thing. And also it just, it's good practice that not everything is transactional, right? Like let's just, let's just all remind each other that connection is not always transactional. If I'm asking for help, I'm just, and if you want to give help, that's it. There's, this isn't a pay, this isn't a tally. We're not keeping score for later on. This isn't about, so you could tell me such a, I'm such a good person for sending you a sympathy card. Like let's just all ease up on the transactional nature of our interactions. And I think this is such a beautiful way to start doing it. I'm doing it. I'm so excited about this. I'm going to start sending notes and letters all the time. I don't even know. I don't even care what they're about. I'm just going to start adding at the bottom. No acknowledgement needed. I used to read a lot of like Ann Landers and other advice columns. And I was always struck by them saying that you shouldn't say no gifts when you send an invitation to an event, because when you say no gifts, you're talking about it as though there were ever an expectation of a gift. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wants to give you a gift, that's their business. It's not your business to tell them they, that they don't need a gift. There is a part of me, though, that thinks it's just really nice when we say to people, I don't need a thank you note for this. Mm-hmm. I don't need a gift for this. I really just want you to come. I called my daughter's birthday this year a play date instead of a birthday party oh, because nice. I really just wanted kids to come over and play and for it to not be a production and for it not to feel like Christmas part two with all of the presents. And so I don't know how we can do that graciously because I do value the perspective of the great Ann Landers and Emily Post and others. But I like saying I don't need this from you, truly. Well, I just think you need to phrase it in a way because there will be people who will bring a gift. Like they're just incapable of not showing up with a gift. I think that's fine. Like gifts appreciated but not necessary or something like that. I don't know a way to – honestly, let's just be real. Like so much of this is gendered. Like I don't know a way to to let women who really don't want to bring a gift off the hook and them not feel guilty and apologize. Because really when you what happens, I feel like when you say no gifts needed, the people who don't show up – without the gift, and then someone shows up with a gift, and then both people are apologizing. I don't want that either. Well, this gets us right to why everybody's drinking. So we'll take a short break and come (laughs) back and talk about mommy wine culture. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. So I think that this topic is a perfect one after what we were just talking about, because truly the list of things that you worry about as a mother is long and absurd. Mm-hmm. And so we had a listener share a New York Times article 
about mom wine drinking, about how to be sober as a parent, sort of the pressure on people who are sober in these in, in these situations. And she shared an article on a mom subreddit and how one of the commenters felt about the article. It says, it talks about mom wine culture as being a carryover from the days of mother's little helpers. There is no way left to be a human and a woman in this world. And now the goddamn times is hopping on the no win bandwagon. We're supposed to be great nurturers and cook our children's food from scratch. And we have to be ambitious business women and hang with the boys and speak out about me too and be porn stars in the sack and never use sex as a weapon and never do anything we aren't comfortable with. And now we've got to be teetotalers too. I can't have a glass of wine with dinner or old fashioned at happy hour or beer during the game without being compared to value-dependent, socially oppressed housewives from the 50s. So this person clearly is very frustrated with the article. This was not our listener. (laughs) This was a direct quote. She quoted somebody else's quote. Well, I understand that. Look, a big thing about motherhood is that generalization is not helpful. Everyone Mm -hmm. is defensive. And overall, we just need to put should away. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think every message that you feel as a mom, especially the mom of your first very young child, it is just a barrage of shoulds and nothing feels authentic or helpful to you anymore. You're just buried under all this pressure. And so I get why you would be just pissed that someone is going to tell you that you shouldn't drink as you raise your children. I also think mommy wine culture is a little bit out of control and unhelpful out of control so here let's tease these apart so the reason we started with the very intense comment is because we want to make clear that we are not shaming anyone that the idea of nuance is that both things can be true at the same time but that it can be true that people feel pressure by mommy wine culture it can also be true that a glass of wine is a healthy way that some people cope with the stress of parenthood both things can be true That being said, for me, the difference with regards to the discussion surrounding mommy wine culture and all the other areas in which we feel mom guilt is that this is not breastfeeding or bottle feeding. This is not sleeping. This is not alcohol is its own universe and it brings its own universe of risks with addiction, with overdependence. And so to me, I, I do think this should be a separate discussion. I do think there is something else going on here. And while I have no no doubt that there is, I feel it myself, the extensive pressure on mothers to be all things to all people, I feel, and I don't think I'm the only one, there's lots of these articles popping up, this sort of growth of the only way to deal with it is wine. I mean, you even see it, I saw it in a, I don't I don't remember if it was a yo. I think it was a yogurt commercial. And the mom was like, oh, this is mommy's juice. And like cracking a joke in a yogurt commercial about basically lying to her child about was what was in her wine glass. And to me, when it when we've hit commercial situations, when, we, when it's being made light of in commercials, we have to have a conversation. Yeah, I've seen um, these mommy bingo cards on Facebook lately that have all these wine references. I shared an article on the Nuance Life Facebook page this week about other moms say I should drink. And it was the story of a woman who was getting ready for her daughter's first slumber party. And they were in a store buying all kinds of 
you know, fingernail polish and mud masks and just the stuff that you get for a slumber party like that. And the daughter was so excited that she was actually skipping through the aisles with her mom. She was just having a blast getting ready for this party. And there were two older women in line behind them as they were checking out. And the older women started talking to them and making jokes about how much wine did the mom have ready for herself during this party. And the daughter heard it and asked her mom about it. And the mom said, you know, what I realized is that this isn't innocuous. It does hurt my child's feelings to think that what I'm being told is she's so annoying that I need to get drunk to get through her party. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not to say that you shouldn't have a glass of wine during a child's slumber party if you want to. I don't care if you do or not. The idea, though, that all of us need to walk around with bottles at the ready because parenting is so torturous, that is not healthy for anybody. No. And I know that the mother's little helper reference is sort of what set the commenter off, but I thought this line was really good. This was a perinatal psychiatrist and addiction specialist, Dr. Lena Middle. And in the New York Times article, she says, this sends women the message that their emotions need to be squelched and not addressed. And to me, like, you know, I've talked about before that I'm a big into like process and I'm a resource Sherpa and I'm a solver. And to me, like if you are overwhelmed, if you are stressed, if you are really struggling under the weights of the expectation of motherhood, the answer is not to numb, which I think that alcohol often is. It is a taking it down a notch, numbing the anxiety. And I think that one of my most favorite conversations we've, we've had on our social media pages is when someone shared a really great article by Brianne Weist in Thought Catalog called Self-Care. This is what self-care really means because it's not all salt baths and chocolate cake, and I would add wine to that. And one of our listeners made the awesome distinction between self-care and self-comfort, and that self-comfort is numbing or pleasure for pleasure's sake. Nothing wrong with that, but that self-care is the sort of foundation if you're, if you're using only self-comfort without any foundation of self-care, a good night's sleep, a healthy diet, mental health support, all those things, then that's when you get into dangerous territory. And that, to me, is what mommy wine culture speaks to. Like, all these memes, it's not like, I had a great night's sleep, I just need this wine to unwind. It's my only coping mechanism. Don't take my wine. Wine for my cold, dead hands. I can mommy as long as I have my wine. Like all those, the message is, this is my only coping mechanism and you dare not touch it. And that that's what, that's the narrative that really bothers me. It all kind of is insulting to women too. Mm-hmm. Even though we perpetuate some of it, it's insulting. And, and look, this can be true whether it's wine or coffee or ice cream or whatever. I've certainly used a whole lot of unhealthy self-comfort and still do and will forever, right? Mm-hmm. These are parts of the human experience. It's not that you one day just say, I have evolved past needing to comfort myself. Yeah, Maybe seriously. that's possible, but like that doesn't look like the future to me. I think, though, the truth is if you're a mom, you can power through any situation and have and do all the time. The things that you deal with, especially when you're giving birth, when you're changing diapers, when you're in the midst of that phase when no one will sleep. And I think we take a lot of the inherent strength away from what motherhood involves when we reduce it with this kind of stuff. Well, and I think that we have to have a conversation in the mommy wine culture. This this narrative doesn't continue the conversation. It stops it, which is... Getting through is not sustainable. 
Getting through is how you burn out your body and your spirit and your mind. And we all have times where we kind of have to shine it on, but you cannot sustain that forever. You cannot sustain it for 18 years. You can't sustain it for 10. I would argue you can't sustain it for probably a year. It burns through. It sends you your body into fight or flight. It wreaks havoc on your hormones, on your adrenal system, on your body. When you start having headaches and you can't sleep, and if you're using wine as the only way, alcohol, the only way to continue to get through, then that, you're in really dangerous territory and not dangerous because you're a bad person dangerous because you're going to burn out and that's hard on everybody particularly yourself and your family my husband and i've had extensive conversations about alcohol as stress relief which is something my husband has leaned on in the past and not terrible consequences but stressful consequences and we found this definition that i think is really helpful it came from a counselor that there is no safe drinking there's just there's no way to define drinking as safe anytime anytime you and you take in alcohol it's with risk. And so, but they have sort of mental health professionals, addiction professionals defined low risk drinking. And they classify this as one to two, but no more than three drinks at a time, not every day, no more than eight for women or 10 for men in a week, and no more than 35 drinks total in a month. Now, I remember hearing on Oprah at one time when she did an episode on mommy wine culture that people with a healthy relationship with alcohol don't need rules to keep that relationship healthy. But I do think that this framework is a really good way to sort of just examine your own drinking and to think through, like, is it low risk? Because I think, you know, we underestimate everything. Calories, how much we exercise, we're, we're classic underestimators. And these actual numbers are a really good way to think through, is it low risk occasional self-comfort or is it higher risk numbing? Yeah, I think that's helpful too. For me, I have always wanted to maintain a space with alcohol where I think I would enjoy a drink, not I need Mm -hmm. a drink. And that might sound really simplistic, but knowing that my verbs matter to me has has really, I think, put me in a healthy position because I do enjoy a glass of yeah. wine. We um, we talk about that sometimes on Pansy Politics in relationship to our sponsors. Like wine is a, is fun. It's enjoyable. It's kind of sophisticated. It's nice with food. Like I don't have any qualms about saying that I enjoy a glass of wine sometimes, but I don't ever want to need right. a glass of wine. Exactly. And I don't want to need a drink of any sort. And I really struggled when I came into the professional world with how prevalent happy hour is. And not just happy hour as the social part of it that I also hate, because I do hate that part. But the the sense of work was so stressful that we all need to go have a drink. I don't want to need to go have a and drink. And people will just get plastered in front of their coworkers. I'm totally intrigued by this. Well, and another side effect I think of mommy wine culture is that in a professional situation like that, you almost feel silly if you have wine. Yeah. Like that's for mommies, mm. right? And so here I am with the guys, I need to have scotch or something. Right. And I just never even tried to hang with that because it's not in me. Yeah. I don't enjoy it. I don't think it's fun. I feel silly. I absolutely do not want to be impaired around anyone that I work with ever. So I just opted out of that. But that was a hard decision. You know, you talk about pressure. I think there's a pressure as a, as a mom to be in this mommy wine culture thing. I think there's a pressure on professionals to be in the professional drinking thing. I think there is social pressure at a ball game for everybody to have a beer. Again, you can do those things. Do them all you want to. I don't care. 
but do them because you want to do them, not because it feels like the price of admission of being with other humans. And here's one of the most helpful things and insightful things anyone has ever told me. My big sister in my sorority is a health coach. And when she was first getting her certification, she health coached me. She told me that often women, and I would definitely like multiply this to the power of two if you're a mom, are rule followers. There's all these rules. That's what that commenter is speaking to. There's all these rules when you're a mom and when you're a woman. And most of us, to to a certain extent, bow to that cultural pressure, that gendered pressure, and we follow the rules. And so when we have an opportunity to break the rules, which every human needs, every human needs the chance to exert their own independence and to sort of break these rules, women often use food. And I think the growth in mommy wine culture is the, the using wine as a way to break the rules. I mean, for so long, for decades, the idea that you would, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess in front of the 50s, they were getting plastered in front of their kids all the time. But there, you know, there's this sort of I always think of Reese Witherspoon. You brought a baby to a bar, like in Sweet Home Alabama. So I think that there was this message of like you would never drink in kids. You need in front of your kids. That's unacceptable. Blah blah blah. And so this is a way to break the rules. And her best advice was: you need to find ways to break the rules that are not damaging physically to you. Because yeah, wine can be a heart, part of a healthy diet, but alcohol. Like I don't know about anybody else, but the older I get, the less I can drink because it just makes me feel like crap. So. I loved this advice. I will share with you the way I break the rules. Sometimes I go to a movie in the middle of the day. Now, I know that's not accessible to everyone, but it makes me, and I'll even watch one at home. It just makes me feel like, you know what? I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to watch a movie, especially seeing a movie at like 12 on a weekday. You feel like such a baller. At least I do. Also, I like to go out of the house without a bra on because I hate bras and they're stupid and they're uncomfortable. And, you know, I'm a Southern lady, and I was taught, like, you never leave the house without a bra on. I have a dear friend who literally sleeps in her bra during thunderstorms in case there is a tornado, and she doesn't have to be in front of the local news without a bra, and I'm not making this up. So it feels very rebellious to me to go out without a bra. Now, I'm not trying to lie and say I don't wear, like, a slut shirt where you really can't even tell, but I know I'm not wearing a bra. And, like, those just – I know they sound silly, but those little ways in which you can just rebel and be like, I don't got to follow your rules – but that are not that don't come with risk physically or psychologically are so important. I absolutely it's so and it's just fun. It's just fun. I'm not trying to lie. As opposed to I'm gonna eat this cookie or I'm gonna drink this wine. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I mean, motivation is really a huge portion of ensuring that you have a healthy relationship with anything. Mm-hmm. Why am I in this relationship? Because I enjoy you, not because I need you. Why am I in this job? Because it's fulfilling, not just because I have to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And, and you know you're in a good place in your life when your why is a why that you could let go of. Yeah. Right? And that's what's – I think that's what always sort of worries me about that linking wine to being a mother, which is such an intrinsic part of so many people's identity. Like the other thing my big sister and my sorority, the health coach – and I'll put information for her health coaching in the show should you want to procure her services. <laughs> but she – said, like, identity is the hardest level of change. If you see yourself as the wine-toting mom, the partier, the, like, if that becomes a part of who you are and who you see yourself are, it's very, very difficult to change, even if the consequences become difficult. And that, to me, linking it to something so identity-driven as being a mom is really, really, I'm just trying to use the word dangerous. I'm not even trying to lie. I think it's dangerous. And identity and motherhood is tough Mm -hmm. because it is so easy to lose yourself. It's really easy to lose yourself. I can understand 
cultivating a persona that is kind of fun, Mm -hmm. certainly trendy, that gives you lots of things to buy and people to hang out with. Well, Lord, there is no end of the mommy wine culture swag. Let me tell you that. That's right. And it is hard to hang on to something that is just yours and not your children's. So I get the appeal of this whole thing. I don't have a great answer for that other than for me, what helps me hang on to my identity most through motherhood is to think about what I am modeling for my children Mm -hmm. and to think about the fact that I don't want Jane to lose Jane when she has kids. I want her to be a great mom. I still want her to be herself. So whatever that means, if it means that she writes or sings or paints or bakes or whatever, I want her to keep doing that. And that inspires me to keep doing my things that are me. Mm -hmm. And But I don't want to trade losing myself as a mother – you know, losing my identity to my children for losing my identity to some sort of cultural marker of what moms are supposed to look like. We would love to hear your thoughts about this. And again, no judgment for how anyone's living. We just want to surface this issue and continue the conversation with all of you. We are going to end today with a poem that Lissa shared with us. And we think it's beautiful. This is the Lakota version of Oh Great Spirit. O great spirit whose voice I hear in the winds and whose breath gives life to all the world, hear me. I am small and weak. I need your strength and wisdom. Let me walk in beauty and make my eyes ever behold the red and purple sunset. Make my hands respect the things you have made and my ears sharp to hear your voice. Make me wise so that I may understand the things you have taught my people. Let me learn the lessons you have hidden in every leaf and rock. I seek strength, not to be superior to my brother, but to fight my greatest enemy, myself. Make me always ready to come to you with clean hands and straight eyes, so when life fades as the fading sunset, my spirit will come to you without shame. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We'll be back with you on Pantsy Politics on Friday and Tuesday, and here again next Wednesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>